Pastor Xavier Reese and seeking God's will in our prayers. Prayer is to align our life with the will of God that the purposes of God can be accomplished in us and through us. God will use circumstances to bring us to His throne so that He can direct and guide us. He will use those things in life that He allows, permits, or even things that we bring into ourselves to drive us to Him, not for our own will, but His. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Hannah had many problems. Her husband's heart was divided. Her home, instead of being a place of refuge from trials, was a place fraught with trials. Her hope had been disappointed. She was misunderstood by her husband. Yet in all those things, Hannah did the right thing. She prayed and committed the whole situation to the Lord. And coming up, Pastor Xavier delves into the story of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, in which we discover an important simple truth about our Heavenly Father. He is both a prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God. Let's listen. Hannah is an incredible woman, if you've ever read her story, who occupies a small period of time in the history of man, yet by her dependency in the faithfulness of God, she affected the entire nation of Israel through her son Samuel, the prophet, providing important lessons for the future generations of God's people. She was a woman who um, longed for a child and to experience motherhood, but as we'll see, she was barren. What a contrast to so many women of our day who put off motherhood, being sexually permissive and seeking out their personal careers that they might attempt to be equal to a man or feel good about themselves or have some self-worth, failing to recognize the greatest riches of being a wife and a mother, to raise, supervise, and guide the children and meet the need of their husbands. How I thank God for many of you women, that God has um, transformed you as you've trusted Him, as you heard the gospel, and now you live for Him and your godly wife and mother. And what it does to the church, to society, to your neighborhood, to the nation. It's an amazing, amazing wealth. The story of Hannah is one of obedience and faithfulness to God, despite the circumstances of life. And it kind of unfolds for us in this text from verse 1 of chapter 1 to 11 in a threefold movement. Bear with me, it's lengthy, but I think it's needful to read it. It says, Now there was a certain man, Aramathaim, Sophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zu, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship the sacrifice of the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Achanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all the sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, 
when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my heart or my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which uh, you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him up, and he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with um, three bulls and ephod of flour, skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren have borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. 
the Lord kills, he makes alive, he brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ashes heap to set them among princes to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will bring strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. The story of Hannah unfolds in a threefold movement here. We have Hannah's affliction in verse 1 through 7. Second, we have Hannah's petition in verse 8 through 18. And then we have Hannah's acquisition in verse 19 of chapter 1 all the way to verse 11 of chapter 2. Let's begin here with Hannah's affliction in verse 1 through 7. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the affliction of Hannah was due to her marriage condition. Hannah was um, married to a man named Elkanah. As our text tells us, God has possessed or God has created is what it means. And so a good Jewish name reflecting his creator, the one he worships. And Elkanah was from Ramathim, Zophim, on the mountains of Ephraim. It literally means the two high places of the watchmen. And it's believed to be two contiguous hills which uh, watchtowers were built and the watchmen kept continual guard for the safety of the country and afterwards they gave them their name. So it's about five miles northwest of Jerusalem. Now Elkanah was son of Jeroham here, the son of Eliu, the son of Tohu, the son of Suv, and Ephraimite. So we get these genealogies all the time to be able to trace certain families, certain lines and all that. To us they mean nothing, but they're very important when God allows them to be recorded. He's an Ephraimite. Ephraimites were fierce fighting men. They were the first tribe that went astray and they were responsible for the heresy of idolatry also. Now, notice Hannah was one of two wives in verse 2. The name of the one Panina, which means coral. Some say pearl or jewel. And she had children we're going to see. The woman Hannah was the other wife. Her name means grace. Gracious gift. And she had no children. Sharp contrast here. Barrenness, as you know, was a mark of shame and a sign of being in disfavor with God in the Old Testament and biblical times. There was a tragedy for all women to be barren because it was the hope of every woman that she might bear the Messiah in the future because she would be born. The Messiah would be born through a Jewish woman. The condition of the two wise notice can only bring affliction to any home. The past history of Sarah, if you remember, and Hagar, Leah and Rachel, houses full of jealousy, envy, favoritism, basic lessons that we should learn from and how it can be havoc in, in all these conditions that uh, for whatever reasons existed back then were, were not the best, that Genesis is the best, uh, one man for one woman. Now Hannah lived in the time of the judges, this is where you put her book in, a period about 305 years, the first 12 chapters of 1 Samuel fits in this period up to the reign of the first king of Israel, Saul, going from a theocracy to 
anarchy to a monarchy, and it's a transition. Now, the two common phrases in the book of Judges were this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. You find that in Judges 17, 6, and 21, 25. The other one is every man did what was right in their own eyes. You find them in the same chapter and same verse. They go together. Anarchy. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Laws mean nothing. Courts are corrupted. It was a time of moral, religious decay and political chaos resulting in social anarchy. While other women were following the order of the day, Hannah's following the Lord. But it wasn't easy. So put her in the time of anarchy. Everybody's doing what's their own eyes. No morality, no ethics, nothing. And here she is faithful. Now notice in verse 3 through 5, the condition of Hannah would not go away by the favoritism that her husband was giving her. Elkanah went up yearly to Shadow to worship, to sacrifice before the Lord of hosts, verse 3 says, and that's the, the captain of the armies of, of heaven. We've seen this through the minor prophets, right? Uh, he's the one that fights for Israel, and he's never lost a fight. Uh, the two sons of Eli were there, Hophni and Phinehas. As you know, they were corrupt. They stole sacrifice. They laid with the women in the tabernacle. And yet, here they are, the priests of God. Elkanah would always give to Penina and her children a portion of, sac of the sacrifice, verse 4 tells us. And in verse 5, Hannah's portion was always double than Penina's. So Elkanah demonstrated his favorite position of her as well as his greater love. He loved her. It's um, unnatural and impossible to love two men at the same time if you're a woman or two women if you're a man. It's impossible. Your heart's divided. She couldn't substitute the double portion for being a mother. Things are things. People are a whole different thing. Look at verse 6 and 7. The condition of Hannah was made worse by Panina's antagonism, ladies. Panina was her rival, it says, which means adversary. Same home, same husband, same family. Panina went out of her way to um, provoke Hannah severely in order to make her miserable, indicating anger and indignation, causing her to rage. Panina's motive was malicious because the Lord had closed up her womb being unsympathetic and uncompassionate, knowing she would only humiliate and shame her even more in verse 6. This is the nature of man. We're nice people as long as everything goes our way. But you just give me a little edge, or you just give me a sense of that I can exalt myself, and my sin nature will come alive. Right there. Remember her name, Panina means jewel, pearl, or coral. True to her name, she was cutting as coral, the product of pain as a pearl, yet having an outward beauty. <laughs> Do you have a Panina in your life, ladies? Then you need to listen to Hannah. Panina provoked Hannah year by year. Verse 7 says that they went up to the house of the Lord just the, 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 while you're going up to the Lord, this is all happening. <laughs> she was being attacked spiritually, distracted from being focused on the Lord, first of all. Hannah was afflicted emotionally as she wept. It's a real situation, real blood and guts. 
what we can understand, and I'll make this point as we move on, intellectually, once we cross that line into personal experience, it's a whole different matter. Now you've got emotions, you've got reality, you've got the consequences, you've got everything flowing. Women are moved and affected more by their emotions than men. As you know, for that reason, the word must be the criteria for a woman's decision-making, as well as a man. But when, ladies, you're moved by your emotions and feelings, you must, you must be obedient to God and subject yourself to the Word of God to make your decisions. Otherwise, your emotions and your feelings will betray you. You'll make the wrong decision. God has made us so different, men and women. Hannah was also affected physically as she did not eat. Notice in verse 7 at the end there. Emotions affect us spiritually in our physical bodies, well, good or bad. Either you're all uptight or you're at peace. Either you're joyous or you're bummed out. That affects us physically. That affects us spiritually. Helen Keller said, quote, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Real life, under very, very difficult circumstances, it's God who makes it all possible. Hannah's afflictions cause her much suffering. Notice, secondly, comes Hannah's petition in verse 8, down to 18. In verse 8, the petition of Hannah was in view of her husband being insensitive. Elkanah was completely oblivious to the provocation of Penina towards Hannah, or plain indifferent to it. We don't know. And it's evident by the threefold question. Listen carefully. Elkanah was completely ignorant about the difference between mother's love for a son and for her husband. Am I not better to you than ten sons? I am sure she said under her breath, no, stupid. <laughs> How can you compare them? A love for your children to a love to your husband? Two different loves. They're not in competition. They're just two different loves. Verse 9 through 11, the petition of Hannah was unto the Lord, who knows all things. Look at verse 9. She arose after worship and sacrificed as Eli sat on the seat by the doorposts of the tabernacle. So here's Eli in the back on the tabernacles put up. There he is. And in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. The priest is there. He's necessary, but she's not worshiping the priest. She's not putting her trust in the priest. She understands what his function is. Her bitterness of soul affecting her emotions caused her feelings to cloud her ability to fix on the Lord. But now being open to the Lord and his will entered into a meaningful interaction with the Lord. Feelings and emotion are legitimate, but they must drive us to the Lord. We have to let the dust settle and know that if we go anywhere else but the Lord with the way we feel and what we're going through, it won't end up good. It just won't. Her prayer refers to intercession to entreat or supplicate. Her prayer was as she wept in anguish, notice that, which means a strong crying and tears very fervently and affectionately. Perhaps about the time of the evening sacrifice, about 
3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, seeing it was after dinner that she arose up and she went and prayed to the house of God. Look at verse 11. She prayed with personal commitment here. Don't miss this. Her prayer was accompanied with a vow to the Lord of hosts. Her prayer was addressed to the only one who could look on the affliction of this, his handmaiden and understand and remember her barrenness. Not that he ever forgot about it, but God will use circumstances to bring us to his throne. He will use those things in life that he allows, permits, or even things that we bring into ourselves to drive us to him so that he can direct and guide us and so he can take him for his glory in whichever way he desires. Her prayer was very specific. Notice that God would give her a man-child in verse 11. Too often our petitions are too general, shotgun rather than bullseye prayers. It's easier to be superficial and flaky <laughs> than be specific and committed. Her promise was that she would give him back all the days of his life and no razor would come upon him, verse 11 at the end there. That means that was a Nazarite vow for life, even to Samson and John the Baptist. You find that Nazareth vow in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Now notice in verse 12 through 18, the petition of Hannah was misunderstood by Eli the priest. Now she's praying to God. Eli the priest is a go-between. God never misunderstands our prayers. Men do. Mark that very well. She was being watched by Eli in verse 12 through 14, and he thought she was drunk because her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out of them because she was speaking in her heart. Therefore, he rebuked her, asking her to put away her wine. Interesting. Notice 15 and 16, she told Eli her true condition. In 15, Hannah says she was a woman of sorrowful spirit. She didn't know why God had shut up her womb. She wasn't understood by her husband. She was being misunderstood now by Eli, the priest of God. And then notice Hannah says she was not drunk with wine or intoxicating drink. In verse 15 still, the act of irreverence towards God. Worthy of punishment as Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who offered strange fire after drinking some wine before the first sacrifice in Leviticus 10. God struck them dead. Then notice, still in 15, Hannah says she had poured out her soul before the Lord. Not just an emotional release, but a total emptying of self to purpose and desire only what that which is going to glorify the Lord. An emotional experience that brings about true change is legitimate. An experience of emotionalism that results in no true change is deception and worthless. It means nothing. You can cry, you can wail, but there is no change, it's worthless. It means nothing. You see, prayers to align our life with the will of God that the purposes of God can be accomplished in us and through us. Not for our own will, benefit, or glory, but His. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with Hannah how it is that God wants us to pour out our anguish to Him in prayer, in exchange for His will, able to bring peace to our soul. Now, you may be interested to know that this message can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And the title of today's study is Hannah, a Wife and Mother, and as always, copies are available upon request. And by the way, there's much more to this message that our limited time on the air just doesn't allow us to present, but we're happy to include on CD. We just ask that you send along $4 to help cover the costs. Now, the title to ask for once again is Hannah, A Wife and Mother. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.